0: I don't know if you've been to the Vietnam War Memorial in D.C. or any of the other war memorials, but I remember soon after it was erected, I made the trip because I'm a Vietnam-era kid. Uh, Didn't go, didn't get called, went to seminary. But I got to the wall, and as we often do, you know, we go look for our last name first, you know, because all those... Thousands of names are there, and I went down to the W's and and saw some walls, didn't recognize any names. But while I was looking there, I saw a name that stopped me dead in my tracks. It was the name of Gary Utranian. Um, Gary was my best friend in middle school when I lived in Michigan and moved south. Hadn't seen him since, and there's his name. And I found myself tracing the letters of his name with my finger, thinking, Gary, you... We used to race cars down the driveway, and now you gave your life so I could be free. I don't know if you have anybody, family member, um, relative, close friend, that who's given that supreme sacrifice, but whether you do or not, we are all blessed by the sacrifices that those men and women have made through the years. Amen. So can we just pause for a moment of silence in recognition of what they've done and just silently right there in your chair or there sitting on your couch, would you just give thanks to God for the privilege of living in this great nation? And, Lord, even as we reflect on those who have served sacrificially and who put themselves in harm's way every day for our sake, we can't help but remember the sacrifice that you made when you gave up the glories of heaven and came to earth and gave your life so we could be free. So thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Thank you. Uh, For all the men and women that you gave us who have sacrificed for our sake, Lord, help us never to take any of it for granted, but always to remember that the privileges we have are based on the sacrifices of others, and now it's our turn to serve. Thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said together, amen, amen. I hope during this Memorial Day weekend, first and foremost, that you'll be safe, I talked to an EMT yesterday who, who, who hit three accidents east of here, not in Wayne County, but east of here, three accidents with fatalities during the night, all of them drunk drivers on this Memorial Day weekend. It's a crazy time to be on the roads, especially after NARC. So please, please, please be careful. Uh, this weekend, if you're, if you're going to drink, don't drive. And, and, and even if you're not, be aware on the roads. As you get out there, the second thing is have some fun. Enjoy your family. Take some time off. Gear down, but pause in the middle of that to remember the freedoms that we have. Would you do that? Would you do that? As we get into message time today, I was, uh, I was thinking this week, reflecting a little bit, of course, about what I was going to share with you in this message. And my mind went back to, to my early, early days of ministry when I was still single. Before I met Kim, I was still in college and, and was actually pastoring. I started pastoring at 19, believe it or not. That's crazy, but nevertheless, it's true. And I made friends with a guy named Jim Hagan. Who was, a, who was a car enthusiast like me. We both love to work on cars and and uh, and build race cars and that kind of stuff. And one day, Jim said to me, uh, you know, I'm going up to the Chimney Rock Hill Climb. I don't know if you've ever been there, but every year, I guess they still do it, uh, on Chimney Rock, that last two miles up to the top of Chimney Rock near Asheville, North Carolina, they actually race sports cars up that winding road. It's just a phenomenal experience. And Jim said, I, I, I've got some guys that have asked me to come work in the pit. Pits, I'd love to have you come and spend the week with us, and let's work the pits at Chimney Rock. And I said, yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. I'm trying to win Jim to the Lord. He didn't know Jesus, and a little rough around the edges, and, and I said, okay, well, here's a chance for me to spend some real quality time with Jim. And so we took off, we went to the mountains, we spent the week there. Well, the first day, I mean, I met some of the roughest, toughest hardest living hardest cussing hardest drinking hardest working guys i've ever known in my life while we worked on those cars and and that night after we finished uh for the day you know of course they brought the coolers out and the the stuff out and they all broke out their beers and they offered me one and i said no thanks you got any cokes in there and 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 i didn't say anything just you know you got any cokes in there so they handed me a, a a coke and uh uh, and, and so every day during that week, I mean, every night, say, hey, you know, breaking out the beers and said, Oh, no, thanks. I appreciate it. You got any, you got a diet Coke in there? I wonder what diet Coke. And so I, you know, just kind of drinking a soft drink, keeping my head down and just kind of loving on these guys. Well, toward the end of the week, Chris, one of the guys pulled me aside and he said, Jim, uh, I just, if you don't mind, can I ask you a personal question? And I said, sure. He said, why don't you drink? <laughs> And I said, well, you know, it's just a choice I've made. Uh, I, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and, and I believe he's asked me not to, and so I don't. And I've accepted a call into pastoral ministry, and so I'm actually preparing uh, to be a pastor. And he said, I knew there was something about you. I didn't know what it was. And I don't know. I had no idea how he received that or what he thought about that. I just, I just told him. I shared my faith with him and showed a little bit of my faith story with him, and, and we went on. Uh, for the day. And so we're working on the cars. And that night, last night, race is over. Last night, everybody's celebrating the car we worked on, one in their category of, of sports cars. And so they're all kind of celebrating and having a good time together. And, and and Chris speaks up and says, guys, wait, guys, I got an announcement to make, guys. I don't want to freak any of you guys out, but I just, you know, uh, I want you to know that there's a reason why Jim over here doesn't drink. He's a preacher. And we went, Oh, pardon my French. <laughs> well, I didn't know you spoke French. I didn't. I, I learned French in high school. I didn't learn any of them words you've been using. <laughs> Call it French if you want to, but okay. <laughs> but here's what he said. Here's what Chris said. He said, I don't know if I believe this stuff that Jim believes, but if I was gonna, and if I was gonna go to a church, I'd want to go to a church like this guy preaches at. And he looked at me and said, sir, You are the real deal. And one of the other guys raised his beer and said, Yeah, let's raise a drink to Pastor Jim. (laughs) Can I tell you to this day, I'd rather hang out with some hard cussing seekers than some of the self-righteous, holier-than-thou, judgmental so-called Christians that I've known. And I realize that if you're a religious person, I just freaked you out. I know, I just that's exactly what I just did. So let me just warn you now, a little disclaimer, a little warning label on the sermon. If you're a religious person, uh, you may be offended by the message today. And as Pastor Farrell would say, if I offend you, come see me after the service and I'll forgive you. Because uh, the fact of the matter is, I think I'm in a pretty good place. By being where I am in all of this because Jesus caught a lot of grief from the religious people of his day. But he gave the biggest of his grief to the self-righteous religious of his day as well. So I think I'm in decent company when I say what I do about that. For those of you that are new, we're in a series we're calling The Shepherd, and we're talking about uh, the the 23rd Psalm and how that really is not just a famous poem, a beautiful poem, but in fact, it, it addresses several facets of life and the aspects of life and gives us parables for them. So far, we've looked at uh, Psalm 23, 1, 2, and 3. Let's read it together. Remind ourselves, for those of you that are new, you can kind of get into the flow of things. Here we go. 1, 2, 3. The Lord is my shepherd. Come on, read with me. I shall not want... He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Just in those few sentences, we've established so far that the job of a shepherd is what? Do you remember? It is to guide, provide, correct, and protect. We've also established that the Bible often often refers to us as sheep who are quite dumb and very much in need of a shepherd, someone to guide, provide, correct, and protect us, but we've also established that the only way that the Lord can be our shepherd is if the shepherd is our Lord, the one in charge. Today, we're focusing on the second part of verse three, Psalm 23, verse three B. So let's read that together. Okay, one, two, three, go. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That's part of his job is to guide. It's not just point the way, but it is to say, follow me, and I'll show you the way. We established that as sheep, we need a guide. Sheep tend to wander. They get into trouble. The the shepherd guides them on this journey. And especially when we're talking about something as as important as, as what he called the paths of righteousness... Because what he's actually talking about is the road upon which you must walk in order to have the abundant life that Jesus promised and the eternal life with him that we all want one day. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 5 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Wait a minute. Weren't the Pharisees the guys who wrote an 800-page summary of the Ten Commandments? These are the guys who tithed the leaves from their mint plants. And you're telling me that my righteousness has to surpass theirs before I can get into heaven? How on earth is that even possible? Well, the answer to that question is it's only possible is if the righteousness that we're depending on is a better kind of righteousness. Not the same kind done more perfectly than they did it because we all know that's not possible. The righteousness we're talking about, these paths of righteousness are not based in keeping all of the rules perfectly, but it's based on having a personal relationship with the only one who is perfect. So today, in the few minutes that I've got with you, Uh, I really just want to ask and answer a question that I think is critically important for all of us to consider in our journey as sheep following a shepherd, and that is, is Christianity, is it a religion or is it a relationship? Is this path of righteousness about being religious or is it about being in an ongoing, intimate, dynamic, ever-growing relationship with the God of the universe. To answer that question, first of all, we need a baseline. So let's establish what I mean by religion. Let me give you a definition. of We'll put it up on the screens. If you've got uh, your, your Bridge NC app, you can follow along with these notes. Uh, in fact, I'll send you my notes. Just email me at info at bridgechurch.cc and I'll send you these this week. You're welcome to have them and read through them yourself at your leisure. But let's get a definition of religion together, okay? Man's attempt, religion, in my view, is man's attempt to please God by adhering to a set of rules and regulations. So when I talk about being a religious person, I'm talking about a person who has got a very clear list of rules and regulations and rituals and that kind of stuff. And they do their best to adhere to them. That that word religion actually comes from a Latin word, religio, that means to tie or bind together. In other words... Religion ties or binds together. It's the same root word as bondage. If you don't hear anything else I say today, if you tune out and slip out and move on, if you turn your your computer to some other setting or something before I finish this message today, hear this, Jesus did not come to put us in bondage. He came to set us free. He came to give us life. He came to give us a fulfilling life, an abundant life. So I want to unpack that with the few minutes we've got today. And the best place to do that is to go to the book of Galatians. So if you brought a Bible, you can go there. Again, you can go to the Bridge NC app and look up the scriptures. Just go to notes. They're all right there. Or you can follow along in the screens as well because we're going to unpack Galatians chapter 1 a little bit of chapter two, and just get an idea of what Paul had to say about this idea of Christianity as religion versus Christianity as a relationship. While you're looking for that, getting set up for that, maybe you want to download the Bridge NC app right quick. Uh, the best, let me give you a little background. Uh, Galatians, of course, is a, it was a church at Galatia, which is now modern Turkey where Paul planted one of the many churches that he planted on his missionary journeys. Well, he started a cluster of churches there actually and then moved on to other parts of the known world where he planted more churches. But sometime after Paul left Galatia, uh, another group came in and began to influence those churches. It was a group called the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were legalists. The Judaizers were the guys who said that Christianity is not just about a relationship with Jesus. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus plus rules and regulations and rituals. So it was Jesus plus. Yeah, Christian, of course Jesus. Yeah, he's the, the author of, of Christianity, of course. So it's Jesus, but it's Jesus plus... Keeping the law, keeping the rituals, keeping the regulations. And Paul gets word in his travels that that's what's going on back in Galatia. And let me just go ahead and tell you now before we get into chapter 1, he is ticked about it. He is not a happy man. Now understand Paul's background, he was a religious person. Paul was this, I mean, he was trained by the best. He was a Pharisee, maybe even a member of the Sanhedrin at one point. He kept the law better than anybody else. He dedicated himself to wiping out this thing called Christianity based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. He he was good at it. He was even complicit in the stoning of Stephen. He was there holding the coats at the very least. He hated Christians. He had them killed, had them put in jail, did everything he could to stop it. And then... He actually met Jesus. The moment he met Jesus, everything changed for him. I mean, it just changed his entire life, 180 degrees. And this whole new journey began for Paul that ultimately led him to become the most effective missionary of his time and one of the greatest Christians who ever. Live. So you can imagine when he got word that the Galatians were abandoning their freedom in Jesus Christ to embrace the bondage of religion, he's not happy about it. Can, can, before we get into it, can I say one more thing? Uh, can we just acknowledge that Judaizers didn't just live in the first century? That they're still well and alive Today? They're still around. The church owner in in, uh, the church in Virginia that Kim and I led told me the story one time, he went to the YMCA to exercise and he met a guy there and they were kind of working out together and uh, And they found out very quickly in the conversation they were both Christians and so as soon as they did, the other guy immediately started railing on, grousing about these modern churches, they're playing rock and roll music and they dress just any old way in church and there's no way them churches are getting big unless the pastor's watering the gospel down and making it easy for people, these modern Churches, and after he kind of vented for a while, he looked at my friend and said, So, where do you go to church? And he said, I go to one of them modern churches. I thought about that story again this week in the context of all of this and it struck me thinking about my experience at the Chimney Rock Hill Climb with Chris and this guy. I've, I've got a hardcore seeker toasting me and a religious guy roasting me and I'm kind of happy about both of them. Maybe not a bad place to be. So Why? Why would I possibly be happy about that? Paul points out in his letter, there are four major problems with righteousness based on religion. Let me just point out those four and I'll let you get on to your Memorial Day weekend activities. Okay. First, he writes, religion is a different gospel. It's a completely different gospel. Every other letter that Paul wrote he starts out, I mean, we're talking about the letters to the, to the Thessalonians, to, to the Ephesians, to the Colossians. I mean, all the letters that he, even, even to the church at Corinth that had all kinds of problems. Every letter that he wrote, he says a whole lot of really nice things. I thank God for you, for the Philippians. He said, every time I pray, I think about you guys with joy. I mean, he just, all that, he didn't say any of that to the church at Galatia. I mean, he goes immediately to the issue. Chapter 1, verse 2. To the churches at Galatia, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He's saying, I'm shocked. Don't you understand that you're considering a different gospel entirely when you embrace what the Judaizers are bringing you? Jesus came to set you free from bondage and they're doing their best to pull you back into bondage and you're following them. And in case you're wondering whether or not Paul was was right, Jesus made it very clear. He did not come to bring bondage. He came to bring freedom. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 was Jesus' mission statement. He said publicly, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim, what? Good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim what? Bondage, no? Freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed. Somebody say free, free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That it's what worries me is the Galatians weren't the only ones. I dare say that. Some of you listening to me right now, either in the room or or online, you've you've allowed yourself, even though you've committed your life to Christ and you call yourself a Christian, you've allowed yourself to slip, drift into some of the bondage. For some of you, perhaps, it's you've allowed a sinful practice uh, to captivate your heart and the result is that Jesus is becoming less and less important to you You're finding yourself in bondage to that practice. For the others of you, you're stepping toward legalism and your life was transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. You started out excited about a relationship with him. You were on fire. You were blown away by his love and his presence in your life. But if you're honest, you're drifting to a place now where it's more important to keep the rules and fulfill the rituals than it is to maintain this fresh, life-changing, dynamic relationship with him, hear me, either way, you're moving toward bondage. Either way, the end result of making that choice is you've chosen a different gospel than the one that Jesus brought. And the one you've chosen leads to a second problem. The second problem of faith as a religion is It brings confusion. Religion always brings confusion. Look at what he said in verse 7 of Galatians 1. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, you're allowing yourself to be influenced by this different perverted version of the gospel, and now you're all confused about what the truth actually is. Can I point out a couple of points of confusion that comes from religion? Is that worth a minute? Let me point out a couple of them. See if you identify with them and maybe, maybe even slipped into some of them so you can check it in your heart. First of all, religion provides this a false sense of measurement. It provides this false sense of measurement. We got this kind of thing. You know, if I do something wrong, then I start feeling bad about myself. So I do something good in order to balance that off. And the result is I start feeling better about myself. The problem is that that kind of a dynamic eventually creates a list of do's and don'ts. And if I do the right do's and I don't do the wrong don'ts, then, then I start feeling good. I mean, I don't cuss, drink, smoke, or chew, or hang around with girls do. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Well, I'm sorry, fence posts, don't smoke, cuss, drink, or chew, hang out, girls do. But the Christians, I need to warn you that if you go down that road where you start measuring Christianity by list of do's and don'ts and who gets it right and who gets it wrong, you it's only a matter of time before you will fall into the trap of starting to judge the other people around you as to their own Christianity on the basis of your list of do's and don'ts. And you're creating bondage not just for yourself but for them in the process. I mean, I heard about the joke about the, 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 the priest, the pastor, and the Duke Power lineman. I don't know if you've heard that one or not, but it's one of my favorites. The priest says, well, <clears throat> the best position for prayer is kneeling with your head bowed before the Lord. And the pastor said, no, 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 no. The best position for prayer is hands raised, face toward heaven, looking toward the Lord. And the lineman said, "Ah, the best prayers I've ever prayed was hanging upside down from a telephone pole. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jim, the way you say it, religion doesn't sound all that attractive. Why would anybody get drawn into that? Well, that's the second confusion, and that is that religion brings a false sense of security. Religion brings with it a false sense of security. Why would anybody get drawn into that? Well, it's because we start thinking that if we get enough things right, then maybe we're right with God. So we create this checklist. We start checking things off. Let's see, my mom and dad were Christians, and I'm a Christian. Ha, second generation Christian here. Check. I go to the coolest church in town. Check. I serve in Bridge Kids. Double check. I got water baptized by Pastor Andy Stovall himself. That's a get out of hell free card if there's ever been one. Check. Which is exactly what Paul learned was happening in Galatia. He yells, whoa, Judaizers have got you way off track. You need to get back to listening to the good news of Jesus Christ. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Hear me. He says keeping the rules, keeping a checklist may give you a sense of security, but it's a false sense of security. And let's be honest, it's easier to tick some boxes than it is to maintain a relationship. So we start thinking, man, if I just check, 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 got it. Okay, good, I'm good. But Jesus plus rules, rituals, religion is not the gospel at all. It ultimately just leads to confusion. The third problem then that Paul raises is that religion focuses on the externals. Go to verse 10, Galatians 1. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God, or am I trying to please men? If, I'm, if I were still trying to please men, would I not be a servant of Christ? He's, he's saying to them, you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus and gotten your eyes onto these teachers, these Judaizers, these guys that are teaching this stuff, and now you're trying to live in a way that pleases them instead of pleasing the one who gave his life for you. You don't, then he gets sarcastic. I love it when Paul gets sarcastic. He says, You don't actually think I'm doing that, do you? You don't actually believe that I would fall into that trap, do you? Again, you you understand what happens when you get your eyes off of a relationship with Christ and onto this religious system of Christianity, you understand what happens is instead of going into the house of the Lord on Sunday morning or whatever else with a mind to, I'm gonna engage God today and I'm gonna get into the presence of of the people of God and I'm gonna worship him and I'm gonna walk into his presence and I'm gonna be impacted by the person of Jesus Christ and I'm gonna be changed and empowered and transformed because of that. Instead of that, you find yourself thinking more about who sang today and whether it was pretty or not who wore what today and whether it was up to date or not how much somebody put in the offering were you looking or not did they see how much I put in the offering before you know it now hear me there's nothing wrong with pretty singing nothing wrong with nice clothes nothing wrong with giving but God cares far more about why you do what you do than what you actually do he doesn't look at the outside as much as he looks at the inside for God the issue is the motive it is why I do what I do and then what I do becomes an outgrowth of who I am what I'm trying to say to you simply is that religion is spelled d-o-do do. Christianity is spelled d-o-n-e done Jesus did it at Calvary Nothing needs to be added to what Jesus has done. I got three amens in here, a couple over here. Nothing needs to be added to what Jesus has done. Can we raise a hand clap of praise in this house? Whoa, 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 wait. Uh, Pastor Jim, are you saying it doesn't matter how we live? No, that's not what I said. Christianity is, is living to please the one who did that for us. In fact, this is the very next topic that Paul addresses in verse 21. In chapter 2 of 21, he said, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. What's he, what's he saying? He's saying if we could earn our way into heaven by keeping rules and rituals, then what was the point of Jesus going to the cross? I mean, if it can be done that way, then why did he have to go through all of that? Guys, when that finally registers in your heart, everything changes. I mean, there's just, there's just this dramatic shift that takes place in our hearts that what I do or don't do is not as a means to earn his love or a means to get my, earn my way into heaven. It becomes an act of gratitude for what he's already done for Me, I find myself wanting to live a life that honors his name, not because I have to, but it's a way of saying thank you for Calvary. I want to keep my heart pure, not because I'm afraid that if I don't, I'll miss heaven, but because he loved me so much that his love was pure for me. He gave his life for me, and I just want to show him that I love him Back, my life becomes driven by a desire to make him proud. To wherever I go and whatever interaction I have, or whatever conversation I get into, or whatever actions I choose or to do or not do, all comes out of this. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me. I just want you to say, That's my boy. See that? That's my boy. That, that's my girl right there. I want to make him proud because of what you've done for me. In other words, it becomes a matter of the heart, which at the end of the day is what Christianity is about. God looks at the internal, not just the external. But the bottom line, and I'll wrap this up, is the biggest problem with religion is it blocks the power of relationship. It it just blocks the whole thing religious people get so focused on this false sense of measurement that I've talked about, this false sense of security, of keeping the rules, therefore I check the box, therefore I'm good, that you get so focused on that. Or they get so focused on this fleeting sense of the approval of man, this, this fickle opinions of man, that they forget all about the transforming power of God that comes from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul wanted them and us to know he was not going to make that mistake because he'd been there, done that, he ain't going back. Galatians 1:13 through16, for you have heard of my previous way of life, you, you know who I was. I was a Pharisee, I was a religious person. I was the persecutor of the Christians. How intensely I persecuted the church and tried to destroy it. But God called me by His grace. I didn't earn it, didn't deserve it. I was trying to destroy what he was doing. But God called me by his grace so that I might preach among the Gentiles. He said, I was as religious as they come. But then I met Jesus. And everything changed because God called me. When you finally get that, You will never be religious again because you can expect everything to change, but it's the kind of change that's not external, it's internal. You get a new heart. That's the story of my life. 18-year-old kid from Bladenboro, North Carolina. And one day, when I least expected it, sitting in the back of a little country church in the small town, North Carolina, anxious to get out of there so I could go meet up with my drinking buddies, knowing that if I left early, Mom wouldn't let me have the family car sitting through an altar service. And God called me. It changed my life. I dare say we could set up a microphone and if you had the courage to come up on this stage you could walk by and you could tell your story and everybody's story is a little bit different but at the end of the day there's that moment I was this, I was that but God called me by his grace I didn't deserve it, it was grace my marriage was headed down the tubes but God called us finances were in the toilet but God called me my life was going nowhere but God you fill in the blank God called me if you're you're listening right now in this room or online and and you're wondering maybe you're hurting right now and you're wondering have, have I done enough to please God, or maybe I've done too much bad that He won't hear from me anymore. No, no, He'll never call me. I need you to understand that Jesus said, Whosoever will may come. It's not an exclusive call, it's a call for all. Just listen. Just listen. And His unconditional love will whisper His peace and His freedom to you. And in that moment that He calls, respond respond don't turn him away by the end of that week at uh, the chimney rock hill climb race the pit crew was toasting me here's to pastor jim the next year i went back to the race uh, just to watch the race this time. I was in the pits the first year, so I didn't get to see it. So I went back the next year and I ran into Chris, the guy that had pulled me aside. He wanted to talk, I could tell. So I got along with him for a minute. He said, you know, Jim, I got to thinking after you left and I started talking to my wife about some of the stuff you said. And I just wanted you to know that we went to the little Baptist church down the street and a couple of months ago, we gave our lives to Jesus and we were water baptized two weeks ago. And now I'm trying to help these guys get it. And somehow I didn't know what was going on in his life, what he was doing or not doing. I, you know, I, I didn't even care in that moment. All I knew was that I'm talking to a different person because he met Jesus. Have you met him? Have you met him? If you haven't, can I beg you not to leave this room, not to turn off your computer until you meet him because he's calling right now. He's knocking at your door right now saying, you open, I'll come in. Or maybe you've met him, but somewhere along the way you've slipped into some of the religious thinking that we've talked about today, and you realize you've gotten away from the freshness of maintaining a powerful relationship with the God of the universe. Whichever the case, on this weekend that we honor those who have fallen for us to enjoy freedom. Honor the one who gave his life so you could be free by hearing his call. Let's pray. Father, you see us. You know who we are for real. You know. You know when we get it right. You know when we get it wrong. You know. You also know whether we're basing our relationship with you on whether we're getting it right or wrong. So would you just make yourself real to us right now? For everyone listening in this moment, would you let your voice cut through all the other voices that are vying for attention in their lives and hear you calling them to intimacy with you? Thank you, Jesus, for calling. We're listening. Keep your heads bowed for just a second. We're going to pray. I'm not going to embarrass you, single you out, but I do want you to pray. The altars will be open. You can pray with somebody before you leave here today with a member of our prayer team, but at the very least, would you pray? Simple prayer with me now. Jesus, I don't want a religion to prop up, rules to keep, rituals to maintain. I want a relationship with you. I realized that when I woke up this morning, I didn't need another rule, I didn't need another ritual. I needed you. And that's why I'm in this service right now. So would you forgive me for getting my focus somewhere else and bring me back to the freshness of a relationship with you right now? Thank you for a fresh start this Memorial Day weekend. In Jesus' name. And everybody said together.